Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. While raising children is undoubtedly one of the hardest jobs in the world. Interestingly enough, it's not a job that we put on our resumes, despite that the hours are 24-7 with more pressure than any paid position that we could ever think of. Now, have you ever thought just for a moment about the additional challenges and concerns parents of children with food intolerances face and just the many layers of complexity that it brings to their lives? You know, I think it's really important just to be empathetic and mindful just of the anguish and the stress that it can bring to them and their lives every day. So today, to help show our support, we're speaking with Tanya Brunia, a qualified nurse, teacher, mother to three three children, two with intolerances, and the founder of Gourmet You. Now, Tanya is going to share expert tips for raising children with intolerances from her personal experiences. Now, as a nurse and a passionate cook, Tanya decided that she could help support other parents who had children with food intolerances by providing products, education and coaching to ensure everyone can enjoy food, feel healthy and avoid the same journey that she had. Thanks for joining us, Tanya. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Thanks for having us. Yeah, look, I'm really, really looking forward to sh- like you sharing your experiences of parenting um, kids with food intolerances and just hearing all about this because this is something, no doubt, that you know in our in our lives um, that we've really seen sort of increase um, the amount of of adults and children that that have That's sort of food intolerances and just how it sort of impacts people's lives. And, you know, talking about children, I guess they are a living part of our heart outside of our body. <laughs> and, you know, their happiness and well-being matter more to parents than anything else, um, yeah. as we are, of course, so deeply and emotionally connected with them. But um, I'd love to know initially, as a parent, uh, with two out of your three children with food intolerances, could I ask, you know, what is it like living um, these emotions each and every day then? Uh, well, my first, my eldest daughter, yeah, is the one that didn't have any intolerances. So we had the first two years, you know, learning how to be a parent, that type of thing. So that was kind of a little break that it wasn't the first child that had an intolerance. And then, um, yeah, my younger two had the intolerances and just seeing how unwell they could be sometimes and the changes in their moods and um, that they couldn't enjoy some things that any kid could just go to Macca's or have an ice cream and we couldn't just go and do those fun things with the kids. So that can be a challenge sometimes. Yeah. And you know, I, I guess a lot of parents initially have their rose-coloured glasses on when they are <laughs> expecting a child and what it means to be a parent. And it's it's common that this rosy picture can sometimes be um, and in, in, the, in the nicest way possible, but it's like a naive version of how life is going to play out because you, you don't know. I mean, everyone expects um, or no one really expects and plans or preempts that their child will have food intolerances. So it's almost and always it seems like a shock for parents to discover this. Was that sort of your experience? It is, and I also think that sometimes you grief the life that you think your kids could have had. Do you know what I mean? Like you you have this vision in your mind of who your child's going to be and what they can enjoy as a child. And then when they can't experience that, you kind of grief for them that they're missing out on the things that a lot of other kids can go through. Yeah. 
So can you maybe tell us the first, like firsthand, what feelings and emotions you experienced as a parent when you first discovered, um, you know, your first child had an intolerance? Like what did you sort of go through? I guess um, it was quite difficult because you could see she was in a lot of pain. Um, so my daughter Gemma was about 18 months old and the food intolerances developed after she started really eating. Um, so she wasn't allergic as a baby, so that was thankful. But then as she started to grow, she would um, hurt herself intentionally. So um, she would hit her head on a wall and things like that, and that was very disturbing. That that was her a relief for her to get rid of some of the pain that she was feeling. Wow. And then she would get eczema and things on her face. So um, people would obviously look at her um, a bit differently and like her face would be bleeding and things like that. So that was very upsetting to see that she was in this, obviously she was still beautiful, but her skin was, you know, really struggling. And it was, it's quite daunting to think how, how am I not doing the best that I can do and help them through this when you can't understand what that, what is wrong because they're so young. Yeah. And through your business as well, what do you find is the most common reaction parents have um, as soon as they they discover their child has an intolerance? To be honest, I think it's often actually relief because then you feel like you're not crazy. You think, well, obviously there is something wrong with my child because at the beginning you think, oh, maybe I'm just being, you know, that helicopter parent or whatever and I'm just... uh, Yeah, and you think I'm just making it up even. And so then when you figure out that there is something that you can do about it, then there's the relief that you think, well, now I've got something to work on. I've got a goal to go towards that I can help them get through this. Yeah. And so I think that is obviously scary to begin with, but then when you figure out what it is, it's a real relief. And then following the, that discovery, I mean, how difficult did you find the transition and then just adapting to that new lifestyle then? Well, I guess um, with my kids, it's actually the second part of my story. So my sister about eight years earlier, had um, some pain and they thought she had appendicitis. So she went in for surgery to get her appendix out and they actually discovered that her bowel had so much damage that she had half of it removed. So I was still with my family at that time and I was the main cook because my parents were working and things. So I was having to adapt food back then and that was definitely a lot harder um, because that was 10 years ago before there was even so many products available. So my sister's gluten-free. And that was really hard trying to adapt recipes for our family at that time. And then when my kids found out, it was a different intolerance, but at least I already had a little bit of the, the knowledge and access to recipes and things that from helping my sister as well. Previous. So overall yeah. then, in your experience, what, what have you found then, I guess, to be the hardest part of just parenting children with intolerances? Probably socialising. Um, Mm-hmm. eating at home like we go camping a lot and that's never an issue for us I can prepare all the food I can go to kit send them to kinder I can do all of it because I can prepare the food for them and I know okay. that it's safe but going into an environment in a an, into an outside environment where we might go to a party or go out for dinner or something that can be very difficult and still yeah. is um, because you never know if there's going to be something suitable there for them to eat Yes. And we're going to speak about this in just a little bit, but before we get stuck into all the other questions, I just wanted to acknowledge we published your article and the title is Tips for Raising Children with Food Intolerances. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, what inspired you to write it? 
I guess um, the part of my business that I'm really passionate about is helping other families and um, people go progress through their um, intolerances to a point where it's manageable. So being able to share some tips with other people on ways that they can help get their kids to a point where it's manageable is really would have been really helpful for me back then. So um, I'm happy to to write about it. And so the main points that I chose were about getting the kids involved um, in the cooking and making sure they understand that they can't eat everything and learn educating the children. making sure that you have a support network, whether that be your doctor or your family or people within the school, somebody that you can bounce ideas off and that understands what you might be going through is really helpful. Mm. And we're going to speak about all of this um, in just a little bit as well. But I just wanted to acknowledge also, you know, parenting can also be very rewarding. We've sort of <clears throat> been speaking about, I guess, the challenges um, of, of having children with food intolerances and or even being a parent with food intolerances um, as well can definitely be challenging but there's no greater joy than seeing your children thrive despite their intolerances. So I'd love to know, you know, from that perspective, like, you know, what do you think is the key to achieving this then? You really just um, persistence, I suppose. So obviously when you're eating your normal things, um, you just go out and you might want to have a spaghetti bowl and everyone has their own traditional recipe for that. It's never the same. (laughs) And you have to just keep persisting and trying and adapting it until you find one that the kids can enjoy and, um, yeah, just keep going with it. You have to keep trying different things, different restaurants, different recipes, and you will have to um, be resilient but be persistent and you'll get there. Yeah, I think resilience and persistence are the two key words <laughs> I sort of got from that then. Um, so yeah. have you sort of found that you need to have, I, I guess, strong communication with your children so they also understand the importance of the risk factors that could affect them as well? Is communication very important, do you think? It is, and um one of the I was a special school teacher before I started oh, my wow. so that I think helped me because my Gemma didn't learn to speak very well at a young age and that was part of her intolerance she had blocked ears and things like that and so I developed a lot of labeling systems in our house that were very simple just pictures with a, a picture of a cow and it had a cross in it and so she knew that that was a dairy-free option if she could see a cow a crossed out cow on a on a box of cereal or on a muesli bar or something and that was something safe for her to eat and then she's now four so she can just ask mummy is this dairy free making sure that she's aware that if she wants something she asks permission or she asks the adult that is this dairy free and some people don't know so but then they can come and ask me as well so making sure that she's aware and knows how to ask has been very helpful. So age-appropriate communication sounds like is very very important and Picture cards, as you just said, is something that um, no doubt is is quite useful. I mean, do you know of anything else, I guess, that the parents have used and can use um, in communicating the importance of uh, the risk risk factors with their kids at all? Uh, There is quite a few. uh, They're called social stories that you can watch online and it's like um, you put the kid in the situation and so the child will um, just read the book and it will say, when I go out, I need to ask permission before I can eat um, a food from somebody else or something like that so they can get used to the language of asking. Um, The labelling is helpful but if if you don't have the resources to make those labels, you can just go to the supermarket and one thing my mum does, for example, is just buys the little sticker dots 
And if it's a dairy-free option, it'll be blue. And so it will, she'll put blue stickers on everything in her pantry. And then when the kids come over, they know they can eat all the blue food at Nanny's um, because that's a safe idea for them. So Yeah. So yeah. just really enabling and, and empowering the children to thrive through communication and organisation. Yeah. Sounds like it's really sort of key. And, you know, and talking with it. What was that? Sorry? Helping them be independent with it. As a four-year-old, she's capable of doing that now so she can look and check and, yeah. And psychologically, that's going to help her as well. That's going to take a lot of that, that pressure and that strain from her to be able to just freely go about her life and she understands the restrictions with regards to what she can and can't do. But have you sort of found that that sort of within her sort of has helped, I guess, her confidence overall? Yes. Uh, she is quite happy that she thinks she can read the labels now. She'll just say, oh, I dairy free, and she thinks she's reading, but obviously it's the picture cue, but that's, that's okay and that really helps her. Um, I was going to say something. Sorry, I've forgotten, but that's, that's okay. okay. But I just wanted to talk a little bit more about communication. I mean, have you ever found that it's challenging to explain the importance of intolerances to your wider network and to, to your tribe, um, to friends and family? Um, and the village around you, have you had any issues with that and or known, I guess, through your business, um, any other people that have really struggled with that? I think um, that gut health is a very new area in science and a lot of people are a little sceptical that people are, are suffering from intolerances, which can be a challenge in itself. Obviously, yeah. an allergy is an immune reaction. It's very obvious, very instant. People have known about You can allergy. see it a lot yes. of the time. Yeah. For a long time. And because intolerances aren't life-threatening uh, in that situation, whereas if my daughter has a bit of cow's milk, well, it's, she's not going to end up in hospital with that. And so then a lot of people probably don't take it as seriously, I think, as an allergy, which it doesn't have to be, but there's no need to to be... Um, you know, not try and put the effort in and yes. help with it. It can be difficult to explain and until they see it perhaps firsthand that, you know, sometimes she might have diarrhoea 10 times a day or then she'll eat something and she'll get the bleeding eczema again. And once the people in our network saw that reaction, then they were like, wow, I really need to be more supportive and help in this situation. Yeah. So educate the village around you and your child, it sounds like. So grandparents, childcare, workers, family, friends, and just the community yes. groups. Uh, it sounds like it's, it's you know, anyone that's really important to your child's life to, to ensure that they do understand uh, and be yeah. sure that, that they know what, what your child can and can't eat. Is that what that's you're saying? That's right. I made a lot of lists for the, for the grandparents because they go, my kids go there a lot. So I made them a specific food box that was for the kids and on the top it had a label with the brands that they can eat that I had investigated and checked. Yep. And so then when you, they go there and they eat all the specific Oreos are dairy-free, which is amazing. So they can <laughs> eat Oreos and then my mother-in-law will know that she can go and buy a new packet of Oreos and they'll be safe. Yeah. And, and just talking about, the, I guess, this initial struggle that people can have when they discover their child has got an intolerance and communicating it to their wider network and their tribe. Do you think that these problems some, well, are mainly due to people being just misinformed or just po possibly just people's ignorance? What, like, what are your thoughts? I, I know. I don't think that it's ignorance in that the people that care for them are going to be committed to helping them. So I think often a lot of people in older generations um, because the gut health is such a new topic that it, it is 
information and that the education can really help in that help. regard. Yeah. And, and as you don't have food intolerances yourself, and I guess for any other parent that's in the same position, I mean, asking you, I mean, did you initially find it hard to adapt to a new way of cooking for the family? Um, and do you think that this is something that a lot of parents in the same situation um, have sort of battled with? So how did you sort of get through that then? Is it just the fact that you have to just keep trying, as you said earlier? Um, There is a few resources around now with lists that you can find for your specific intolerance, like FODMAP lists and dairy-free, and they'll list brands and everything. So as I did find that very time-consuming to begin with, trying to go to the supermarket and read the labels. So uh, my husband would set aside a few hours going to the grocery so that I could check the labels. So, um, But there is now a lot more available where you can just type it in and a lot of people will give you the brand names. And we have some on our website as well of brands that I've found. Um, and then adapting the recipes to help the kids. So there is a lot of available at the supermarket now, like the cheeses and, um, you know, you can swap garlic. If you can't have garlic, you can buy garlic oil as a safe option. So just finding out the options available to you makes it a lot easier to access recipes. And so so how, how and where do you find those um, those links um, and or can we include some of them in the show notes then as well to help some of the, the parents, do you think? Yes. Uh, on our website we have um, some free documents in there um, that okay. are avail- available through the recipe page as well. Um, and they're just list of dairy-free options, low-fog-map options. So they're just downloadable as a PDF so you can go over there and go oh, those on. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, we'll definitely include those links in the show notes. And talking about the recipes as well, can you maybe just let us know some easy ways, I guess, to adapt recipes for kids then? Yeah, so uh, it obviously depends on your intolerance. So if we start with dairy-free, both of my kids are dairy-free. You can substitute any milk one-to-one in a recipe. It makes no difference to how the recipe will turn out. Mm -hmm. Um, Adjusting butter, though, it can be a little bit more difficult because butter is more solid than margarine. So even a coconut oil may be a better option to substitute because it's more solid. Yeah. Um, So that's a really way to adjust easy way, sorry, to adjust to be dairy-free in your cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, with FODMAP options, which are natural fruit um, and vegetable sugars, that type of thing, there's such a wide variety of foods that are safe and then, you know, like moderated um, that there's some really good recipes out there. If you just type FODMAP options in, you'll find out the safe vegetables and you just convert all your recipes to include five vegetables that your kids like just begin with those and make sure that, you know, you're pushing something that they enjoy while you're changing. Yeah, um, your well. And then, then talking about that, how do you get the kids involved in learning about intolerances and cooking then? Um, I guess when they were little, I didn't push the intolerance side of it very much. They were, you know, two years old, so they don't really, didn't really need to know about it at that age. But my husband made some really fantastic ladders for the kids, like just a little step stool type of thing. And they'd get up every morning and we'd make rumbles or something um, that they liked and made sure that they felt special in the kitchen. So they've got their little apron and their own <laughs> little cooking tool that would uh, spatula or whatever that they wanted to use. Um, And then as they got a bit older, I got them to write down one thing on our shopping list every week that they wanted for dinner. And so my daughter still chooses pumpkin soup every week, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And then the other kids might choose something else. So giving them a bit of a voice in what you're going to cook and then giving them the um, skills to learn how to cook and make things for themselves is really helpful. 
as well. And in your article, which you met, briefly mentioned at the start of the um, the chat, that you you list sort of three ways um, that, that I guess parents can sort of help. Can, can, can you maybe just go through them with us now, if, if that's okay? So the first one is get help. So if you think that there's something wrong, just trust your gut. Can you maybe just tell us a little bit about this? Sure. Um, as I was saying before, that it can take some time to get um, to figure out what is wrong and that that you are onto it. So you really have to listen to yourself and trust that you think there might be something wrong um, or that they're struggling with the food. So if you notice a symptom and they can be so vague, even um, a lot of doctors originally told us that they thought my daughter was teething because she was having, you know, the rash and the drooling and things. And I just kept persisting and I saw someone different. Mm. Uh, And then I saw a naturopath and they suggested maybe try the elimination diet. So just making sure that you access um, resources, whether it be a GP or a naturopath or whatever path you choose to go down. But if you just keep um, yeah, persisting again until you get the help, there's a lot out there. So, And should they just start with seeing their GP first? Um, otherwise, like where should they start when they start to sort of notice the change in, in, the, in the child's health? And I would definitely recommend the GP first because a food yeah. allergy could still be a very real um, it could be a food allergy rather than intolerance and if they have an allergy it's a lot more serious so you're best off getting the allergy test first get that eliminated and then you can push towards the intolerance path if you think there's still something there so if, if still unsure get like a second or third opinion then and then ask for more tests would you say yes and they can easily get blood tests and things to check for celiacs is a very easy test to do yeah. um, to get a, a lactose. If your child might be lactose free, they can just do a poo sample and it gets sent off um, and they can test for the sugars. So it's quite simple. So, and uh, talking about tests, there's a lot of options you can try, including blood scans, um, uh, sort of scopes and elimination diets as well. So there's lots, isn't there? But yes. to be sure that you keep pushing until you can get some help and that you have a plan, it sound, sounds like as well, would you say? Yeah. So if you, st- if you think there's something wrong, there usually is, and it may be, it's just something in your environment. It might even be a soap or something. Yes. But you can yeah. st- something as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the and next you can thing- still that, so. And the next thing on your list is to be prepared. So prepare food in advance and in bulk. And you did mention that before. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? And I guess that can sort of save time as well, I guess. Sort of win-win. It does. And a lot of people are a bit daunted by meal prep. But then if you're getting your kids involved, that's part of their fun. That's part of their activities. And, you know, something you can schedule in with the kids. Well, today is your cooking day with the thing you chose to make. So that might be a rumble or something. Yeah. And they freeze really well. So you can make, you know, 30 of them. They get one each day and that's easy. And it's actually cheap in the long run than buying things from the supermarket. As well. And um, yeah. talking about your pantry, how do you organise your pantry at home? Like do you do anything in particular? Do you have those stickers that you were talking about before? Do you use those? I'd, uh, I don't have the sticker dots. I originally made the labels with like the dairy-free whatever. Yeah. Um, but now we just all eat that way because I found that simpler. Um, so we have the whole pantry's got all the labels on it and then my kids have their own safe snack box now with their picture, like their little drink box, drink bottle labels on it. So if that's got their name on it, they can eat anything in that snack box. Otherwise, the things in our fridge are all safe for them at this point. As well. And do you have a shelf with your child's safe foods as well in in your pantry or not? Yes. So the the box and the things that they can have are all at their height. So then they can come in and they can choose something that they might like to have. 
And it's really good what you said before um, for any other relative grandparents um, to be able to have coloured stickers on each product that is, say, so green a green sticker or, you know, is gluten-free or yellow sticker is for dairy-free or what have you. So as long as the children understand, you know, what each sort of... And it's been coloured across the households, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great idea. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the next one you have in, in the article is plan ahead. So know, I guess, when you are going out, and this is what you're mentioning, that anything outside of your sort of your, your home um, or what you can control, like cafe restaurants and those types of things to plan ahead and, and, and do your research as to what is, is suitable that they could eat and, and if there isn't anything to be able to change the venue if needed, would you say? Yeah, so originally, as I said, it's all a learning curve, but now we know where we can go that's got, you know, almond milk milkshakes for things, the kids that are safe. So um, you can just call and most restaurants are really happy to help you if they can. And often they'll say, well, I'm sorry, we don't have that option, but you're welcome to bring something in for your child. As well. So I can still eat there and then the kids can have their own option and I might make chicken nuggets at home and they can still sit with their friends and have chicken nuggets while their friends eat their food. Well. Um, so, yeah, so meal prepping at home is still going to help in that way. You could make up, you know, three serves of nuggets or whatever you want to give them and then whenever you go out you take it with you and your little service or whatever and um, the kids can still eat and enjoy being out with everybody else. Yes, great, great advice and any preparation is better than any other alternative so it's just better to always plan ahead. And That's talking right. about, um, you know, outside um, sort of activities, you know, special occasions and even things like outdoor fates and festivals, these types of things can, I guess, prove to be really difficult um, so from that perspective, how can we make children with food allergies feel safe and welcomed at things like functions and special occasions? Is, is it to always, as you just said, to bring your own food? I just always take it anyway because sometimes even if you are prepared at a wedding or something, weddings are, are a great thing for kids really because they always make sure they cater for everybody that's there. Um, but otherwise I ta always take food with me because it just ensures that at least they won't be hungry. and. And my other daughter just eats it as well. So, yeah, I just always take it with me. But when you do go out, if you can try and um, find out in advance what, you know, uh, pop-up shops are going to be there or what food is available and try and buy it from there if you can so they can enjoy the experience but just keep the safe option in your bag. <laughs> and, and don't make a fuss as well, I guess. You know, just make sure the children are treated like everyone else. Um, I think right. that would be really important. Um, it is. You don't want them to feel like the outsider. So I often will eat what they eat just so that they say, oh, mummy and I are having this and then my daughter will have yeah. yeah. So it's, it's that feeling of, of inclusion as well is really important. But what about children's birthday parties? <clears throat> you know, like, what, like what, what, what's your advice here? In a way, uh, my daughter's still quite young, so we haven't been to, like, a um, party where we don't know the parents. All the this, She's only four, so she only goes to family friends at the moment, and they always have made such an effort. Um, and they ring me in advance and make sure that they can have at least a couple of options for Gemma, and I always take a plate with me. So I, I will take a little snack plate or whatever for all the kids to share, and it might just be fairy bread, but at least I know that Gemma can eat that with her friends when we get 
as well. And would you suggest like talking, I mean, for as children get older and for anyone else watching and listening, talk to the parents, of course, hosting the party yes. to explain what the allergies are um, and yes. just to sort of inquire what they usually do for parties. Would you think, yeah, obviously, that's something that's it's really important. Um, yeah, I think a lot more people uh, are getting more aware of it now too, though, that kids have peanut allergies and that's been around for a long time. So I think parents are starting to um, ask in advance, can your child eat when they get here or how can I help? So, And most well. people are very keen to make sure that all the kids are included. As well. And I understand some children might be okay just to avoid um, their allergens as well um, and eat from what is available um, that you prepare and you actually sort of take to the party. So some parents, um, as you said before, may bring a couple of plates to share that their child can eat and others may just choose just to bring their own food up as well. So, you know, I right. guess. And as long as it's something that your child enjoys, they're usually quite happy. And if they can share with their friends, then they're happy to say, I brought this, who wants to have some? So Yeah. The next one is win or learn. So educate the village around you, as we were saying before, and learn about the alternatives for food and adapt to find suitable recipes um, and to add to your, I guess, regular mix <laughs> overall. So if you could just maybe expand on that for a moment. I guess um, that saying win or learn was about you're either going to succeed at the start or you're going to learn eventually. So you just, you know, I've made things before and my husband said, this is not that great, but I'll make it again next week and you know, everybody enjoys it. So you're learning as you go and that's really important. And there's a lot out there you can talk to. Um, maternal and child health nurses are actually quite knowledgeable too. If your child is young, they often have a lot of ideas for how you can um, adapt things. So just making sure that you um, yeah, educate the people around you and keep learning as you go because there's always new products available, new recipes available that you can access online. So, yeah. yeah. This has been an, an awesome chat and we have sort of covered off on a lot. So could you just for a moment maybe just summarise your key messages um, for anyone watching and listening? Um, I guess, yeah, when you're out there, you need to trust yourself, trust that you can achieve it. You'll have some, you know, fails at the start, like I said, but you'll keep learning and you'll keep, you'll eventually win and then it will be easy. I don't even really think about it that much anymore. We have our set routine as everybody does. And you just keep pushing and trying and you'll find what works for you. Yeah. And look, if parents have got any other questions and or, and or want to find more about Gourmet You um, and or just to reach out just in general, to, I guess, to sort of to be have you as part of their network, whereabouts can they find you? Uh, our website has all the documents that I was talking about before. Fantastic. Um, so that's www.gourmetu.com.au. Um, and then we have Facebook and Instagram as well. And there's probably a bit more information on there. I'm, I'll, I put up regular articles and tips on those. Um, so that's at Gourmet U. So you can check those out. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. Tanya, thank you so much for your time today. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and uh, really look forward to another one in the not too distant future. But in the, in the meantime, just stay safe. Speak soon. Thanks so much. Thanks okay. for having us. All right. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcasts, 
subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.